Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Running the 615 Podcast. I am your host, Drew Jones. When I think about what people have been the most influential when it comes to my running career, there are two names that immediately come to mind. The first is Christy Beth Adams, who hopefully you just got done listening to on episode one. And the second is my friend Mark Miller. Mark is who I would consider my running coach, and over the course of my 20-year running career, I have not met anyone who knows more about the sport of running than he does. Mark is also the founder, godfather, and creator of the East Nasty Running Club here in Nashville, Tennessee. It is one of the biggest and most successful running clubs in the country. And even though I'm slightly biased because I was there when East Nasty started in the summer of 2008, I can tell you this with 100% certainty. If you live in Nashville or you are passing through on a Wednesday night, there is no better place to grab a run with 100 plus runners than at the Yellow House in East Nashville at 11th and Holly. Mark grew up in Peoria, Illinois, where he played soccer and ran track in high school. However, it wasn't until he went to college at Bradley University that he began running long distances and eventually joined the cross-country team for the Bradley Braves. Mark moved to Nashville around the same time as me in 1999, and for the past 15 years, he has been the track and cross-country coach at Christ Presbyterian Academy, where he also teaches calculus. Mark has probably forgotten more about running than most of us will ever know. One thing I've always really respected about Mark and his coaching is that even though he has done it for quite a while, he still spends a lot of time researching and studying things about running and trying to find ways that he can improve as a coach. Mark is married to the lovely Aaron Miller, who is also a great runner. They have three kids, daughters Lena and Julianne, and son Luke. Mark is very insightful, Mark is very smart, and Mark is always super enjoyable to talk to. In this episode, we talk about some facts and myths when it comes to running. We also talk about what it takes to start a running club, and we discuss living in Nashville for the past 20 years and some of the changes we have seen, both good and bad. Please remember to promote Running the 615 and subscribe to it on your favorite podcast host sites. Any feedback that you can give or positive reviews are also appreciated. Without further ado, here we go with episode two. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Running the 615 podcast. Today, we have my good friend and good runner, Mark Miller. Mark Miller is a coach. He is a founder of one of the most successful running clubs in Nashville. He is a husband. He is a father. And yes, he is a runner. And we're going to talk about all of them today, Mark, if that's all right with you. Sounds great. So let's just start off, Mark. This is Running the 615. We talk a lot about running here. You've had a pretty long running career. Just tell me where you know, when in life did running start for you and what was it that was, you know, kind of the catalyst that made running or how running became a part of your life? Yeah. So you had warned me about this question as I thought it through. I was like, I'm not even sure. I was always one of those kids where I would say things like, I'm not running unless it's after a ball. Right. You know, and, or, or even, 
running is stupid unless you're running after a ball. Just to run, <laughs> to run is dumb. So I de- that was definitely where I came from. But when I got to high school, I'm from the Midwest, from Central Illinois, Peoria, Illinois, actually. And the Midwest has a really big running culture. And so our high school cross-country team, there was probably like 100 or 120 kids on it and out of a school of 1,400 or something like that. And a lot of those guys were my friends, and I really liked them. Just our personalities mesh and all that sort of thing. But I also played soccer, and soccer was in the fall in the Midwest, which is also when cross-country is. So I didn't get a chance to experience cross-country in high school. But then in the springtime, I would run track. And when I started, I wanted to pole vault because that's what my buddies did. We spent most of the time just lying on the mat doing nothing. <laughs> I think I pole vaulted eight feet once, maybe. And then uh, at one meet, he threw the coach threw everyone in the open 400. And for those of you that have run track before, you know, the 400, you run in individual lanes, but there were probably 30 of us. So it was a waterfall start. So everyone was there and it was just a madhouse because we had a huge track team too. And it was the end of the, he just wanted everybody to run a 400 and I ran fast. And so uh, he looked at me, he said, you're no longer a pole vaulter. And just as I developed as a track runner, I developed the distance races just came a little easier for me. Now I ended up finishing up, you know, running the 400 and the 800 pretty much. I never went up to the mile because we had plenty of guys who were really, really good at that because we had a we had a pretty strong track team. So I ended up doing all the workouts with the distance guys though. And I loved it. And that mindset and that repetition, it just appealed to me. I'm not sure why, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what about my personality is just drawn to that, but I love pacing myself, timing myself, you know, having rest intervals I, for something that maybe as a mathematician, it just sort of resonated with me. Yeah. And that was also the first time. So, and I'll, probably talk more about this later, but that's also the first time I experienced the community in running. Right. Right. Every, everybody thinks it's just such an individual thing and a thing you do by yourself. And that's a lot of the reason why people hate it and quit because they don't ever experience the community involved. And there, there is the first time I felt amongst all those other distance runners, like a community, like I felt on the soccer team, right? An, an actual team vibe. With, yes. With that. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I remember I took a, a course once with um. It was actually a running course, but the guy teaching it was a track and field guy, and you just made me think of it. He talked about how pole vaulters, by nature, are the most, if you will, risky of of any athletes because when you're a pole vaulter, literally your first move is a backwards gainer, basically <laughs> from the ground. And I, you know, I just had never thought about it in that context, and I was like, well. I never thought about pole vaulting ever in my life. And maybe that's why. Yeah. Well, you know, it was funny. I used, I used to have this vision that you just run up and you jam the pole in the ground and it like a cartoon, it flicks you up. And only about, this is my sophomore year in high school, only about halfway through the season did my coach said, you know, you jump. He's like, <laughs> you don't just, do all right, <laughs> the pole, you don't just jam the pole and wait for it to flip you up into the air. You actually jump and it carries. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, no wonder. <laughs> <laughs> so high school kind of started it a little bit where you're running the 400 and yeah. 800, which are the harder parts of being a runner because you, yeah. it's basically, you know, you get to feel the pain the entire way. So into college, how did that kind of keep progressing from there? 
Yeah. So once I had a taste of that, I just really, really enjoyed it. And I started running a bunch on my own. And so when I went to college, the soccer coach at my university was Bradley University, Peoria, Illinois, is he was the soccer coach there. And he coached me in my travel soccer. So he wanted me to walk on and play soccer. And then I basically said, you know what, I'm, I think I'm done. I'm going to be an engineer. Just want to kind of go to go to college and uh, do, do my thing, but I kept running and cycling, and I just really, like I said, endurance sports just really resonated with me. So right down the hall from me, my freshman year was a guy that ran on the cross country team, mm-hmm. and I would go do runs with him. And probably about after the fourth or fifth time we did it together, he looked at me. He said, "Why are you not running cross country?" I said, "Well, I never even thought about it." And so yeah, he introduced me to the coach, and I just walked on, and so I ran really kind of the second half of my freshman year on, I ran uh, cross country and it was just, it was an utter wake up call. I was not ready for that. My first couple years of running, it took a long, because I'd never run probably more than 20 or 25 miles a week. So yeah, I've I've actually always heard that from, you know, being a runner myself, not a necessarily successful one, but knowing a lot of successful runners, uh, a lot of my coworkers from Brooks all ran in college. And it's, it's, you know, a really big jump mileage wise, right? From high school to college. Tell, tell me about that just as far as what the demands were being a college runner. Yeah. So, uh, it was the first time ever that I would run twice a day. We would run at probably six 30 in the morning, three or four times a week. And then we'd run at four o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, I went from running 20, maybe tw- I felt good about myself if I ran 25 miles one week and probably my first week of collegiate training was probably 45. Right. So I spent the entire, my, my entire first season of cross country running. I was thinking, are we sprinting <laughs> every single run? <laughs> is every run all out? Is that how you do this? <laughs> and so, um, because all those guys had miles and miles and miles on their legs. And back then, it was interesting, back then, the I don't know if this was intentional or if this was just the mindset, but coaches back then basically just had everybody do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And if you had innate talent, you would kind of bubble to the surface and you would be fantastic. And if you didn't, you would either break or get slightly better or whatever. So there wasn't a lot of personalization of my training. Everybody does the same thing and whoever survives it's that's our good runners. Yes. That's our top seven. Whoever can survive this stuff is going to be our top seven. So obviously that was hard. My first couple of years, I ended up running probably fifth or sixth guy my senior year, but my f- you know, seven guys run on a varsity squad in cross country. So I was fifth or sixth guy my senior year, but up to that, it was just hard. It was just like really, 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 really uh, hard for me, but I loved every minute of it. Yeah. Once again, as an odd thing, cause I'm a high school coach now, high school runners are a little bit more prepared for the demands of collegiate running now. Cause they're doing more mileage, mm-hmm. but it's left to be seen, but I think they're also burning out earlier. Some of them are doing too much too soon. Yeah. Yeah. I think you only have so many miles on your legs and you know, there's this kind of mindset that you can only, if you train hard, you can improve for six years. And I don't know how right that is. Eliab Kipchoge has certainly improved for more than six years, but either way, uh, there's kind of this mindset. It's been around running for a long time. And so if you start really, really pushing it when you're a sophomore in high school, you know, how much, if you're running 80 miles a week when you're a senior in high school, how much growth do you really have over those next four years of college? And, and if you are going to grow, I mean, what are you going to be doing? 120 miles a week? 
when you're a senior in college. It's a lot. Yeah. So I didn't do that. <laughs> I'm not sure I've tipped out of 120 a month yet in my life. But we're going to get to the coaching part because that's that's one of my favorite things to chat about you. I, I know you've been coaching a long time and always have great insight with that stuff. But tell me, you know, this is jumping forward a bit, but just tell me as, a, you know, looking back on your running career now, what's what's your favorite race that sticks out, even if it wasn't your best race? And then what actually is your, do you consider like your crown achievement as a runner? My crown achievement. Um, yeah, I don't, I, you know, I don't have any state championship. I, I always do wonder if I had run cross country in high school, how I would have been because I ran division one in college and it was mind boggling what those guys were doing. And so I was kind of a mid packer. I was laughing with a friend of ours, Hugh, right. uh, Monday one time, because he ran at Notre Dame, which is even more competitive than where I ran. And he said his first collegiate cross country race, and they're fi- either five miles or six, 10K, 8K or 10K. And 8K is about five miles. He said he PR'd for two miles at the two mile mark. <laughs> and he thought, this is not going to go well. And I was like, I had the same experience. And so, um, even two miles into his first race ever, it's the fastest two miles he's run in his life. Ever. He's like, well, yeah. I'm about to tip out here. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's throwing the towel. And it was interesting. There's a like 100 mile racer, ultra guy. I don't know how to say it. It's like Crar. K-R-A-R, I think. He kept, but he came to Nashville running one time, and I was talking to him. He's Canadian. Mm-hmm. And he said when he came down, he raced for Butler, which is out of Indianapolis. And we came down, he said, everyone talks about in the NCAA, everyone goes out hard. Right. I mean, it's insane how hard NCAA racers go out. And because the front guys can hold it. Right. But everybody thinks they're a front guy for some reason, and so they don't pace themselves, and it's just mass carnage. Yeah. basically the second half of the race. So, you know what? I, I actually, actually am really proud of myself for sticking it out and running collegiately. That's one of the things that I'm incredibly glad I did, sure. but it wasn't because of the success I achieved. I ran about 26 minutes for eight kilometers, which is really kind of like an also ran mm-hmm. out there. I mean, once again, it's good, mm-hmm. but on NCAA, it's really not all that good. But I'm just, I'm just really proud of myself for kind of sticking it out, even without the success. Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, especially, you know, not even really doing it in high school and then getting there and, you know, having a roommate basically suggest it to you to then run D1. That's, that's, that's pretty cool. As far as just some of the races you've done, I know you've run marathons. I know you've done some ultras. Um, Is there any race that just sticks out as something that you really like? That was, that's my favorite. That's, I think that's my favorite race I've ever done. Yeah. So probably nostalgia plays into that a lot. The first race I ever did was in my hometown. It's called the Steamboat Classic. It's a four mile or a 15K. And I think it's still the fastest four mile in the world. But when I was growing up back in Peoria, they they would probably bring in 25 or 30 Africans uh, every single year. Uh, Or actually just elite runners. I remember Arturo Berrios. He's, He's Mexican. And he was there one year. He was the first person to break 60 minutes in the half marathon. So there was this massive contingent of elite athletes. And so there's a lot of nostalgia about that. And I love going back occasionally. It's probably once every three or four years now. We'll go back to my hometown. I'll do that race. I mean, my best run ever was probably when I was like 18. I ran like 21 minutes for four miles. And I think I finished 40th. Wow. Yeah. It's just, it's one of those things, Yeah, you know? So, um, 
super cool nostalgia, but also yeah. super uh, humbling uh, of a race, if you will. Very humbling. Very humbling. My, I think my fastest 10K ever is the Peachtree Road Race, and I'm not sure I cracked the top 1,000. <laughs> I mean, I and I felt great about it. I, yes. mean, you know, I think 90,000 running it, but... <laughs> Yeah, that's that's actually I kind of like that about running, especially how I got into it. Just, you know, not being a runner really until after college, I didn't have any expectations really out of it or out of myself. So I've just never I've just never beat myself up about it, about not being terribly successful at it. I tend to like the races that are more themed or Boulevard Bolt, which I've already mentioned in another recording is my favorite because I know I will have less of a conscience eating all I want uh, for the remainder of Thanksgiving. But so let's flip over to the coaching aspect a lot. I've, you know, I know your coaching style because we've done a little bit of coaching together with fleet feet speed sessions. But my favorite part about your coaching is I know it means a lot to you. I mean, you've coached some great athletes in in high school and even some people post collegiately kind of help them out with what they're training. But I know that you know so much about running, but I also know that you still study it, you know, that there's always still things that you're researching and kind of testing out. Just talk a little bit about being a coach and, and what that's been like just being on the other side of it and maybe, you know, some things that are just your your favorite parts of being of being a coach. Yeah. I love coaching. It's really an honor to be able to pass on things that you love and passions in your life to others. You know, I get to do that. I, I love math too, which is not as cool as running, but well, it's not, but, it's not, I don't, I, I've told the people this a lot. I was like, they're like, Oh, like anybody, when we'd have speed sessions, they're like, man, Mark is such a good coach. I guess I like to listen to, to Mark explain workouts. And I was yeah. like, well, he also teaches calculus <laughs> right. and uh, there are some correlations between yes. how he teaches both. I'm sure. Although I've yes. never taken your calculus class. Uh, you're welcome to come. <laughs> I expect meager results. <laughs> Right. If that ever happens. Right. You just can't talk to any of the girls in my class. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the only reason I went to school in the first place. All right. Well. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I just, it, it really is. It really is a blessing to be able to pass on things that you love to kind of the next generation or people that are just discovering it or to really talk to somebody that's been doing it for a long time and tweak what they're doing and watch them experience success. I mean, that's really enjoyable for me. I mean, obviously my PRs are in the rearview mirror. All of that stuff for me is in the rearview mirror. So it's almost just, it's really just as much fun for me to watch other people get to experience that and get to enjoy it and all. You know, the other thing that I think I speak into high school kids is perspective, I've done it a long time and trying to put high school sports in perspective can be difficult, especially when you're talking about high school boys that find a lot of their identity in there. And I try every time we talk about, every time we look over race results, I always start with, you are not your performance. And I think one of the issues with individual sports, quote unquote, is that you can, your identity can be really wrapped up in it. Mm -hmm. And so, like I said, everything, every single time I talked to him, I said, whether you had a great day yesterday, a terrible day yesterday, or mediocre, you are not your performance. That's there's, not what defines who you are. There's much more to you than yeah. this race you just ran. That's good. Yeah, yeah. So about the running part, you know, to put it just more in like a, like a more universal part about running, as much as you've coached it, what's something that you would say is just a universal truth about running that you've learned? And then maybe a couple myths out there. And the reason I ask you this is, you know, I do think there's people that maybe think they know more about running than they actually do. And I've actually 
witnessed you help some people out like, hey, you know, one of the reasons you're not performing at a high level is because you've got a lot of junk miles in your training where you think yeah. you're doing a lot, but really maybe running some of these extra miles is is not helping you like you thought it is as an example. But is just tell me a couple truths about running that you've learned over the years and then maybe some things that people think is right, but that's maybe not. <laughs> so this guy named Hallie Gabriel Slessy, he was a Ethiopian runner, one of the greatest runners ever about yeah, about 10 years ago, about a decade ago. He's still out there every so often, but just not half the person he was, you know, kind of thing. But he used to always say that people would say, well, you know, what is the secret to becoming a great runner? And he said, run every day, twice a day, once on Christmas, <laughs> you know? So I think people think about running, research running, research the most recent GPS watch. They're looking for a silver bullet. When the reality, it is really a pretty easy endeavor. It's just putting one foot in front of the other. With that, though, there is a lot of science and there is a lot of nuance. And the reality is running, endurance running, is an aerobic sport in general. And that is the system that you have to build and make powerful and make strong. And I think most people run too fast. They think that in order to hit this sort of peak, you have to run quickly. And that's... More and more science nowadays is coming out and more and more elite programs, even at the high school and collegiate level, are slowing their runners down during their workouts. And I think that what you were referring to when you said you're doing a lot of like not quality miles or what I would call quality junk, Mm -hmm. it's you're getting out there and you're doing a five or six mile run. It's supposed to be a recovery run, but you feel pretty good today. So you begin speeding up a little bit. And next thing you know, it's almost half marathon pace, you know, as you're finishing up, which was not what was supposed to happen that day. And so you finish the run feeling great about yourself when in reality, there's going to be more negative consequences there for that than positive consequences. From pushing it. From pushing it. Right. Yeah. Well, I've, I've heard you say to other runners, especially people who are just getting started out, that one of the wonderful parts about being a runner is the more you do it, your body without even realizing it becomes more naturally efficient at it. You kind of will eliminate some excess movement, just become better at it by doing it. But I also heard you say, you know, again, I think it was during winter speed sessions when maybe some of the intervals were a little bit longer, but somebody was talking to you about miles and this and that. And you said, I'm paraphrasing, but it was something along the lines of, if you want to be a good runner, run often, do it a lot. Do it, do it as much as you can. Most of the time, do it slow and easy. Occasionally, do it hard and fast. That's right. <laughs> there you go. And I was like, well, that sounds so <laughs> practical and so simple, and I don't think I've ever done it. You're right, yes. right. But that's neat, man. I mean, I, I just, I've always, you know, just enjoyed your perspective of running. And I, I know you've coached a lot of people, both young and old. The speed sessions part was always neat for me because it was an adult track team. It was basically yeah. people coming out to run in circles to just try to improve a little bit. And it was a short enough span over the 10 weeks that, you know, there'd be a time trial at week one and then another one at mile five. And, and like you said, being a coach, getting to see people improve their time trial and just five weeks like that's a that's a neat experience but you know 
them putting themselves out there and, and doing those workouts was obviously what made them faster. But you always just had a good way of explaining the workouts. Here's what we're doing. And oh, by the way, here's what you're going to feel. Yeah, here's what it feels like. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and that that gets to the idea that success in running is defined differently than most other sports. Because when we did do speed sessions, we were not working with any world record chasers or even probably there would occasionally be a guy that would do them with us that would maybe win a local race, but not very often, really. These were people that were looking to better themselves and just become a better runner and a better person and to challenge themselves in something that could be brand new for them. I love that. You know, if, if you have the greatest football game of your life and you guys lose 63 to zero, nobody cares. Right. Right. But I even remember probably one of my best track races. I came across the finish line overjoyed. And I think I finished second in, I finished 10th in the second heat, which was the slow heat. So I finished 10th in the slow heat. And I was like, yes. So, I mean, success is just defined differently, right. I think, in running. Totally. So, well, I want to talk a little bit about East Nasty. Yeah. Um, East Nasty is just one of the neatest things that that I've been a part of. East Nasty is something that you literally created in your head. We had just met, actually, I was working at Fleet Feed. Yeah. We were coaching speed sessions, and I remember you talking about wanting to get a running group. And then I think you guys, you guys probably met for two or three weeks before I actually came out and joined you. But East Nasty is a running club in East Nashville. It has been going for 11 years now. You are the founder, the godfather, and you know the reason it has been a success. Talk to me just a little bit about what you initially wanted or envisioned from East Nasty and then kind of what it has now become and still is today. Yeah. So you've heard me say this multiple times, you know, running is an individual journey best done in community. And not to get too philosophical, but I think that's kind of like a metaphor for life, too. Life is an individual journey that's best done in community. No one can live your life for you. No one can make your decisions for you. But all of that stuff goes better when you have people around you that love you and care about you and that celebrate with you and mourn with you and all that sort of stuff. So, But I think running sort of the same way, that it is an individual journey at the end of the day. Nobody can run for you. If you're having a bad day in your half marathon— you can't tag out. Right. <laughs> you can't go to the I'll corner and say, yeah. all right, you're in. Yeah, you can't, can't take a sub, can't take a timeout. So it, yeah, it is an individual thing, but it is by far best done in community. And I think people that don't run in high school or college never get to experience that. Right. Even, even today, the vast majority of people that I see out there running are running by themselves. Mm-hmm. And there, there's a beauty for that. There's a solace and that can be really refreshing. And there's something that is simple about running that you can just get home from work and put on your shoes and go. But when you treat running like that, it also becomes a very individual activity. Mm -hmm. And I think that you miss out on a lot of enjoyment and a lot of the love and a lot of the community that you can build by doing it with a group of people. Right. So, so, I mean, East Nasty is, it's, it was almost lightning in a bottle. I mean, especially those first four or five years, I think we would both openly admit that it became far more successful, at least that I and vision. I mean, you were the one who was driving the car. I became a part of it early enough on that promoting became my, my <laughs> thing, especially working at Fleet Feet at the time. I mean, anybody that came through the doors that was wanting to get started and running, I was like, hey, six o'clock Wednesday night, I got a group for you. But I was surprised how quickly for me it turned from 
the running component is always there. I mean, it's a running group. That's what it is. Yeah. But, you know, after about a year, especially when there was just so many friendly faces out there and people that I'd grown really close with, the running part was was secondary. I mean, driving out there, I would think about seeing my buddy Hugh Mundy or, or Graham Stoner and, yeah. and was thinking about that, about seeing my buddies. And I knew the run was a part of it, but it was almost, you know, not even in my thoughts about it. And then of course, three crow became a huge <laughs> component to it where, Hey, if I know if I drink a little bit, I'm going to get to have some drinks and BS with right. anybody within earshot. I mean, that was just such a neat thing that it, that it came to be like that. Well, and you know, and once again, not to harp too much, but so many guys experienced brotherhood, friendship, and, and women, really, sisterhood, brotherhood within on teams. Mm-hmm. And they don't think that that happens in running. Right. And it really does. Yeah. In fact, you know, it's almost, it's, it's almost more so, if you've ever been to a cross-country race, guys can be rivals on the course, but at the end of the race, everybody knows that they just did something that was really, really hard. Mm-hmm. So the camaraderie, even between teams is really amazing. You know, if you run right next to a guy from your rival high school the whole time and you finish the race together, even if you're both sprinting, I mean, you're, you're giving high fives afterwards. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah, it's really, it's really, and I, I agree. It was kind of lightning in the bottle. I'm not sure if it can be replicated so much anymore because the city's getting so much bigger, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just harder to get across town. I remember, I think we hit the tipping point probably about, what do you think, maybe 2013, mm-hmm. yeah, when we probably had 250 years. people every Wednesday. Which is, I mean, good night. There, when, when it's I a race. Came out, I think it was the fourth week and there were five of right. us. Right. It was across the street. And I mean, there was a little bit of divine intervention, I think. I don't, yeah. I don't know how we decided to come to the other side of the street. I don't know how we migrated up the hill a couple houses to, lo and behold, the only house on the street that someone doesn't actually right. live in. It's owned by the YMCA. They couldn't have been more okay accommodating accommodating with us just hanging out in their front yard at the start and finish of every run but it's just it's a really neat thing and you know from someone who the past six years has traveled the country going to running stores and participating in in other running groups i'm biased but it's it's one of the best there is in in the united states not only just as far as the amount of people that consistently show up i mean i ran in east nasty 10 days ago and there was 150 people there and it was 97 degrees at the start of that run. It's still just very, very big and successful. And I give you all the credit for that, especially in the starting years, because it takes somebody to stand up in front of a group of people and say, this is who we are. This is what we're doing. Come back next week. We're doing it again. And oh, by the way, it's free. Invite anybody you want. I mean, that's. Yeah. So I, I would get phone calls, not so much anymore, but I would get phone calls from other folks wanting to start a running club and I would say there would say hey I think we want to do it every Tuesday night what do I need to know and I said this is what you need to think about three years from now on Tuesday night do you want to be standing up in front of people telling them about the run that we, that they want to do and I say that because I think for the first couple of years of East Nasty I may have missed three Wednesdays oh, totally. you know and so like I almost call it the ministry of consistency. Mm-hmm. You know, we used to do some charity work kind of over at, at Kip, not ch- like I ran a reading group over at Kip. And I'd say, you know, there is a ministry of consistency when you are reading with a third grader who's struggling and he, he or she knows every single week you're going to be there. 
every single week. And whether you really know what you're doing or not, as far as helping them reading, if they know that you're going to be there and help them read, that's a ministry in and of itself. But, um, and I think the other thing that East Nasty had that a lot of running groups don't is that we had a real, what I call kind of parish model. And once again, in those early days, people were saying, hey, let's branch out to 12 South. Let's branch out here. I'm like, nope, we have a mission statement. Our mission statement is to make East Nashville a great place to live and to run and to make running accessible to everyone in our community. And until we've accomplished that in East Nashville, we're not going to move out. I say, you know, other, other organizations have wider scopes than we do, and that's great. But for us, we are going to focus on our neighborhood and we're going to have alley cleanups and we're going to collect dog food and we're going to get uniforms for local middle school track teams. And if someone from somewhere else needs something, that's just, you know, we're, we're, we're for East Nashville. Right. And I think, I think that can really resonate with people in terms of we're going to make our community better and that's going to be our focus because no one can make everything better. Right. You know, yeah. But I mean, I think East Nashville itself at that, the, I mean, we, it's, it's so streamlined now, but there's 12 routes. So every week you're yep. running a different route, never feels like you're running the same place. I mean, I think for the first couple of years we had like three and then we'd run some of them in reverse that felt new. Oh no, 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 well, no. I did a new one every week. Well, and then do you remember we, when we, I asked, we were so in like, the, we were in the tight spot though. Yeah. We were running the same streets <laughs> different times of the run, but go ahead. You said, remember? Uh, well, well, you remember Matt Pogue. Oh, so sure. what? So I asked him to create a route, and remember it was called Four Miles and Going Nowhere. And he <laughs> would run. We ran up Twelfth, and then we like it was like Donkey Kong or something, just going down and across, down one block and across, down one block and across. And you're always within the same spot. Yes. You got in four miles, right? Yeah, but it's it's it's. I think the the routes that have been created down into Shelby, a couple into Nashville, one all the way up to Demumbrium, are just the most runner friendly for Nashville. I mean, I think it just it really helped that that was the case. There's been some other groups that have started out that have been super successful. Noblesville yeah. running. Close Club, um, right. Capital Steps workout that I've done yeah. here over the summer has a has an East Nasty model to it with with James Crumlin, you know, being the model of yeah. consistency there. But like you said, Nashville is so much bigger now. I think what I've seen on the flip side is so many people used to drive to East Nasty and stay there. You know, six o'clock was the run, and maybe eight thirty or nine was when they'd head out. Most of the people now are coming in from a lot of different places, do the run, and then and then head out. But yeah. the the numbers are still there. And and, and what East Nasty, you know, started off as is still very much the case. The other thing is East Nashville had the, like the infrastructure to handle it. Wide streets, lots of sidewalks. There was a park. We could about get to Shelby away, Park. Right? Yeah, about about 1.5 miles away. There was a park that we could get to. I'm really not sure how many other neighborhoods could handle. I mean, you couldn't have a Green Hills right. East Nasty with 150 people every week. Sure. So, that you know, helped. Yeah, that helped a lot. What's your kind of favorite East Nasty memory when when you think back on it as far as just, you know, seeing it grow? It's really just become, you know, a, a thing of its own, but it it did start in your head. And yeah. what, what's been kind of the your your number one memory? I would have to think there, there's a lot of great memories, you know, just people pitching in. I would, I would, I would kind of throw out an idea of, Hey, let's have a Christmas party. And then people would just kind of jump up and say, sure, I'll host, you know, we would move places and the Zimmermans hosted for what, five or six oh, sure. years, yeah. easy, opened their house to a hundred people they didn't know. And, 
and you know we'd have a little jazz band there. I mean, there was just just the the stuff that sprung out of it was amazing. You know, and even including the marriages, that always kind of blew my mind. A lot of East Nasty couples. Yeah, there are a lot of East Nasty right. couples. But probably the thing that I, I do remember a run where there were it snowed for like five or six inches, and I was like, told Aaron, was it, it was like December like twenty third, yeah, it? like it was, yeah, it was, it was within a blink of actual Christmas Day where that Wednesday landed. Yeah, right. And I went. I went to the run. I was like, I think it's going to be me and like three others. People showed up. Dave Harris, Stephanie Coleman, and I don't. I don't. Maybe it was just the three of us. Actually, there might have been a fourth. Slushing down the, slu- uh, the Holly. Well, down the middle of the street, you'd be proud of us. Wow, there you go. <laughs> Isn't that where you're supposed to run? Not uh, well. Some East Nasties <laughs> seem to think so. Still to this day, I think that's the main instruction we've ever delivered. Hey, I know there's a lot of us out here, but. You can't run in the middle of the right. street. You're not ever. a car. Right. <laughs> um, although, funny enough, East Nasty for Life, which is still our kind of call sign, did originate from jumping out of the middle of the street. That We were still small enough that we didn't start in pace groups. We all started together. I think there was about 30 of us. We got done with announcements and we're getting ready to take off. And kind of all 30 of us are getting ready to go across the street. And I look to the right and there's a car coming. And it was coming slow enough that it was very much going to be they're going or we're going and the car paused just enough for the 30 of us to run out there and i was just like he's nasty for life yeah (laughs) just just, people just stuck their heads it was like braveheart basically (laughs) running across the street and now people have east nasty for life tattoos oh yeah uh, traffic was involved in that. I tell you uh, one other story too that that uh, speaks to your community part. That's great about East Nasty Ian White, who's one of mm. my favorites of all time. Ian White is a super successful tattoo artist here in Nashville. When he came here the first time, he came to East Nasty. Uh, he's a tattoo artist, of course, so he has several tattoos. Yeah, and he walked up to the group on Wednesday night, happened to meet Kevin Kaz, I believe was the first person mm. he met, and he was just truly thankful for how welcoming Kevin Kaz was as far as the running group, because he said he'd certainly experienced times before where that wasn't the case because I'm yeah. having, you know, several tattoos or whatever, but that was East Nasty in a nutshell. Just yeah. open. If you want to run, that's what we're about. Come do it and and bring a friend with you. And of course he's, like I said, he's one of my favorite East Nasties of all time. Yeah. I, I would, I would say probably the thing I'm most proud of is the things that have developed that I had nothing to do with. including now, I mean, it's still going on and I probably haven't gone in two and a half years, Mm -hmm. you know? And so that, that, that is a cool thing when something that you kind of initiate kind of, it's no longer personality dependent. It's not your thing. It's, it's the community's thing now. Right. It's, and, uh, I love your answer for why you, why you couldn't do East Nasty anymore. I mean, you had always talked about, you know, after you and Aaron got married, then of course, after you started having kids, it was getting to the point where you're like, yeah, I mean, I'll definitely try to make it when I can. But, but now you guys literally live on one of the routes, but you said, here's the thing, Drew, I would love to come run East Nasty at six o'clock on a Wednesday night, but I'm married and I have three young kids. And if I did decide at six to go for a run, when I got back, there'd be divorce papers. On the table. I'd still have three kids because there is no <laughs> worse of a time to go for a yeah. run than six o'clock at night. But you know, to your point, we did a good job yeah. of finding Jeremy Taylor. That guy is really, he's a great president of East Nasty. He cares a lot about it. He's one of the, you know, East Nasty success stories that really gives credit to that running group for turning his running career into what it is. But oh yeah, 
Yeah, that's cool, man. That it's it's still going strong. Yeah, um, and we do. I do make sure that I yell at your house every time I run by. I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if you ever hear that or not. But some people are like, "Why? What is this guy doing? Just screaming at a house?" I was right. like, What's wrong with the house? I was like, "You don't know." Yeah, I was like the Godfather's in there. That's why I'm screaming at that house. So a little bit. Let's let's talk. Let's just talk some about Nashville. I know yeah. you've been uh, you've been a part of this community for a long time. It's grown a ton, uh, especially here in the past five to ten years. What is it that you you know what What do you consider the most Nashville thing about you having lived here? What What year did you live move here? I moved here in nineteen ninety nine. So right, same, literally the yeah. same year, twenty years now. What's the most Nashville thing about you, and and what's something that you would you'd like to change if you were given the control switches? Man, what is so what is Nashville about me? I gosh, you know, I moved here from Atlanta. I was I'm from Illinois, I moved here from Atlanta and when I was in Atlanta, I didn't really want to move because I was an engineer at the time for Caterpillar and when I moved up here, I very quickly realized that I liked my friends in Atlanta and I didn't like Atlanta. Right. <laughs> so Nashville just very quickly became just a place that I love to be and that resonated with me. I'm not sure what I, what exactly I consider myself most East, most Nashville. That'd be hard. That would be hard to answer. I mean, you've been here 20 years. You're, you're more Nashville than most. Not yeah. probably. You, uh, you had mm. quite a lot to do with the, especially the East Nashville component yeah. of it from just, you know, East nasty, but just some of the things you've been a part of East Nashville is, 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 you know, the spot that people come to when they are looking for Airbnbs coming to visit yeah. like that, that city almost flips on its head on the weekend with all the people coming in into that. All the bachelorette parties. Our, our Kroger is like a bachelorette bachelor party Mecca starting Thursday <laughs> afternoon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Aaron just told me a story the other day about how she asked some, some bachelors that had nothing but like beer and frozen burgers. She's like, are you visiting? They're like party. And she's <laughs> like oh gosh (laughs) we need to move (laughs) (laughs) but i do you know i i I do love being in a community where i feel like a little bit of my thumbprints on it sure you know and there's just something about walking around you know knowing people hey i know who remodeled this house hey you know i've been in this park hundreds of thousands of times you know hey there's a car with an east nasty bumper sticker and i've never seen that person before so it's kind of neat to be a part of a community that like i said you feel like you had a real impact on sure that's a pretty nashville thing about you that you can walk around or drive around your car and see east nasty stickers and you're like oh Oh, by the way, <laughs> right? That uh, that one time existed in my head, and now people have stickers that yeah. they that they get. That's a good one. Yeah. So what what's what's uh, some things that you'd like to you know maybe maybe alter if if you if you could as as the city continues to grow? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll, that's a great. That's a great. I do remember. I, like I was saying earlier, I think our tipping point for East Nasty was 2013. And then one of our good friends, Greg Kyle, that would come over from Vanderbilt, I think right around then he started saying, if I leave Vanderbilt at 5.30, I can't get these Nasty in time to, for the run to right. start at 6. And the, what's, as the crow flies, it's two and a half right. miles maybe. Right. So, you know, just the density has been fun and cool, but it's really changed a lot of the aspect of the city. I, w- I would tell when I moved here in 99, I mean, I lived on Goose Creek Bypass mm-hmm. and we would come in to, you know, Caterpillar, we'd be at Caterpillar, which is Lowe's Vanderbilt Plaza 
plaza and it wasn't that big of a deal. And you could basically live in the community that you wanted to live in regardless of where you worked. Now I think you have to live close to where you work. You if know, you don't, if you don't want to have an hour yourself yeah. out on purpose. Right? That's right. I have two hours in the car every day. And I think, you know, and, and maybe, maybe that's just a natural progression of cities and maybe I'm nostalgic for something that really doesn't happen anywhere anymore. But yeah, I, I do miss the ability to venture out to different parts of the city anytime you wanted to. Right. Like if I, Aaron and I can't decide at 5 p.m., hey, let's go across town. Let's go check out some of the new restaurants and off of Charlotte. I mean, it's not going to happen. You know, it's going to take us 45 minutes to get there. So you kind of have to plan your day around that. And that never used to be like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so just that it's probably a obviously a common complaint. I, I don't want to feel like a curmudgeon because there's a lot of cool stuff that comes with that as well. There's a lot of youth coming here and they have great ideas and they have a lot of energy and they make things really exciting. But yeah, I think Christy Beth, uh, who, who we've uh, already interviewed on the podcast, she had a great answer. She said, you know, the cool thing about Nashville is, is in all honesty, no matter what you like to do, you can do it here in Nashville. There's, there's just, you know, there's tons of churches to choose from. There's two professional sport teams here. There's, you know, it's, it's temperature wise, pretty good for yeah. spending. You can't be a pro surfer. Maybe that's not it. That's you right. You can't surf or can, ski, right? But Snow there's, ski. there's just a lot of things to do in Nashville, whatever your, you know, choices. And you can, you know, have a lot of variety here with that. I love this city. I really feel kind of lucky that it just ended up being where I came after college and it, it continues to kind of surprise me in new ways with things that I find out about it and, and really, really like. But like you said, there's there's some growing pains too. I just want the Titans to win the Super Bowl. That's, <sighs> really, that's really, that's it. That's the crown achievement. When that happens, I really, I'm going to go, I, I can do anything and I've lived a full life on that. Yeah, I just, want, I just want them to not be frustrating. Well, that's true. I tell a lot of people, if I never would have started rooting for the Titans, I probably could have lived about 95, 99, yeah. maybe 75, right? right. I mean, maybe. It's, it's the most <laughs> stressful thing in my life is that yeah. football team but nashville still is is a great city it is it is you're you're absolutely right i don't i don't want to make it sound like i hate the city because it is really a, you're right it is a fantastic place to be there's no doubt about it and i remember when i got transferred here from atlanta i don't know what i don't know what you thought nashville was in your head but i thought it was just kind of a bumpkin town just nothing and the moment i got here i realized that that wasn't true right there was a, even even back in the late 90s this was a great place to be mm-hmm. you know so and there wasn't half the stuff going on that there is now so you know my i went to high school in ohio and then went to college down south but both of my parents were from the south mom from alabama dad from kentucky so they came here because they wanted to get back closer to where they were from but by then i had already fallen in love with the south okay. i mean yeah you know, i went there to play golf in college and and picked up running immediately afterwards and you know nashville is a great spot for both of those so i was i was excited to come here all my friends from from college either they kind of went Birmingham, Atlanta, or Nashville. And I would pick Nashville out of those three for sure. And, yeah. and it ended up being, you know, what was what was a good thing. But just as far as Nashville and the running thing, what's yeah. what's your favorite uh create your favorite run in Nashville? What what time of day are you running? Where are you running? Who are you running with? Perfect Nashville run. Man, uh Person Water Park on the trails. It's cold. 
there may or may not be a little bit of snow on the ground. Uh, yeah, I can't even tell you how many times I've run those trails. I mean, probably I've been here 20 years. I probably run those trails. Golly, I've probably 600 times, maybe, maybe more. I just, one year I spent a year where I never ran on the roads at all. And I, I don't even know how many times I probably ran those tra- trails three times a week. Easy. Oh, sure. With your, with your kids too. Like yeah. When the coaching. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, people, you know, there's, great running trails all over the country. Of course, the more West you go, the more options you have. But the coolest thing about Percy Warner to me is it is, there's some, it's a great trail path. I mean, it's a good 11 to 12 miles of trails in the woods and it's, it's super close to what is the heart of downtown Nashville. It's, 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 you know, it's very accessible to have a park like that as close to the city as it is. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. What about music? You and Aaron get to go see a concert tonight at the Ryman Auditorium. Who are you going to see at a, an ideal show here in Nashville, getting to live in Music City, USA? Uh, well, I love Todd Snyder. He's kind of the mayor of East Nashville. And I, I, and I, I started listening to him back in college before I even knew that Nashville was in my my future. So I can't even tell you how many times my buddy is not. But Aaron is not interested in going to see Todd Snyder. We're going to see Tyler Childers in February. We're going to go see the Milk Carton Kids over at the Basement East, if you've ever seen them. But it, Basement East, that's, that's a, what, two blocks from yeah. your front porch? That's yeah, awesome. it is fantastic. But, you know, more, more so, I'm, I'm getting more into, like, Americana. And my girls are ex- obsessed with the high women. Oh, right. Have you, have you heard? Isabel's wife. Yeah, Amanda right. Shires. And it, it's great music. Yeah. And, uh, and if you and don't know this. They're young to, to, yeah, to already be picking up on that. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and if you don't know this, seven-year-old girls, when they figure out that they like a song, they listen to it over and over and over. Awesome. So you, so maybe you're not as big a fan because of that right now. But no, I actually I think they're I think they're fantastic. It's one of my favorite new bands to listen to. Oh, cool. So yeah, yeah, nice. Well, let's uh, let's kind of wrap this up here with what we call or with what I call running the six one five speed sessions. All right, let's do it. Um, you have uh, coached speed sessions. It's uh, it's something that we did together, and I, I told Christy Beth I think one of, if not my favorite parts at working at Fleet Feet, which which I absolutely love, was getting to coach speed sessions with you. You were obviously the coach. I was more of the uh I think you would call water boy, maybe, but I did I did every now and then I got to fill in when you weren't there as coach and I'd recite whatever workout you'd put together. But it was I just really enjoyed watching people run and, you know, giving them a little bit of encouragement. I was also the DJ when I was allowed to play yeah. music. And, and the, you marked the course. Do you yes. remember that? Out at over Centennial. Yep. yep. That's one of my favorite stories when I said, Hey, can you go put a mark at the start line and, you know, mark the 400 meter mark. And I walk up there and there's a giant line all the way across with an, <laughs> with a giant 800 underneath it. Was uh, chalk. <laughs> right. that, thing was, it, that thing was gone three years later. Right. No Maybe. I doubt it. I bet it's still there. <laughs> I wanted other people to be able to enjoy that of course. 800 split. Of course. Now. So we're gonna. I'm gonna hit you with a lot of different questions here. We're just gonna uh, rapid fire. Don't uh, don't think too hard. There are no wrong answers. So, actually, let me ask you this real quick. What's the fastest mile you've ever run in your life? The 418. 418. Yeah. Wow. And what year was that? Uh, 96 or 97. 90, 96, I think. 
Am I, am, I, am I trying to answer these in under 418? Not really. It's just a conversation <laughs> piece. You, you can take your time on any of them. Got right, it. You ready? Yep. Here we go. Yeah. Roads or trails? Trails. Early bird or night owl? Uh, or now early. Used to love night owl. Country, hip-hop, or rock and roll? Americana. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> Favorite Nashville restaurant? Cafe Nona. Uh, coffee, tea, soda, or water? Coffee. Dogs or cats? Uh, dogs. Your dog is named what? Ryman. After the yeah, you got to love it. Awesome. Talker or listener? Uh, talker. Me too. Yeah. Go figure. <laughs> Beach or mountains? Mountains. What annoys you? Uh, the people that work at the Kroger in East Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's specific. Um, favorite condiment? Oh, mayonnaise. Cookie or candy? Cookie. Favorite sports team? My favorite sports team. I'm not actually a big sports fan. Not the Titans? Is that bad? No, you can say the Titans. That's actually the only answer we accept. Okay. Unless there's another. <laughs> right. There are wrong answers to that yeah. one. Titans. Uh, what is your dream vacation spot? Uh, Hawaii. There you go. Do you have a celebrity crush? No. Well, is there any celebrity that you've ever run with on the Percy Warner trails? Uh, so one day during cross country practice, we ran past Keith Urban and Nicole Kidman. Yes. Yeah. We also have run with James Marsden. Oh, that's right. That's right. We ran with uh, Cyclops. That's right. Um, favorite TV show or movie of all time? Fair, uh, probably The Big Lebowski is my favorite movie oh, of all yeah. time. Awesome. Uh, best way to recover after a long run or race? Uh, relax, take a nap. No longer happens when you have three kids. Man, mm. actually, I, nap, I've already said this, nap. but taking a nap is my favorite. What are you afraid of? What am I afraid of? I, I, I don't have any, like, psychoses. You already said you were gonna. You wanted to be a pole vaulter, so we know you're a deer <laughs> devil to begin with. You know, I'm, honestly, I, I'm afraid that uh, this, this injury, because I've been injured for a mile, might be a little more permanent than I think it is. As far as your running career? Yeah, as far as running. I'm not going to let that happen. Yeah, good. Uh, do you wear a belt or no belt? Belt. I wow. actually tuck my shirts in, too, and that's a throwback that's a thing of the past that is yes you are truly getting up there to what we call adulthood <laughs> one of the two um watch or no watch i i always wear a watch 100 percent of the time actually in the shower sleeping all the time all of it it's an iron man we covered this a little bit best part of living in nashville i would it's the, the best part of living in nashville living in east nashville there you go shop in store or shop online online airplane or road trip uh, I like driving actually. Me too. Enjoy the ride. Or if you're not first, you're last. I'm a fast walker. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> well, there you go. You're more, you're more Ricky Bobby. Than <laughs> yes. You uh, something you want to do before you die. Oh man. Something I want to do before I die. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing some grandkids before I die. Okay. That's a good one. Um, breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Uh, breakfast, Ron Swanson all the way. Yes. <laughs> what makes you happy? Exercise and I'll stick with that That's good. one at a time. Um, what has running taught you? Uh, perseverance. Um, yeah, perseverance. What is the biggest misconception about you? Uh, that I eat well, health. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, what is your favorite holiday? Thanksgiving. Me too. Last one, not necessarily a quick answer. What is the purpose of life? Oh, man. The purpose of life is to uh, love each other well. 
There you go. Time in. 4.15.33. 4.15. Officially your fastest mile of all time. Even you just faster. broke your own record. Yes, sir. That did not seem like it was that long, and it seems to me like anybody running a mile in that time is moving. Yes. No doubt. Thanks for coming on Running the 615, Mark. You're one of my favorite people. Our lives have certainly intertwined a lot over the years. East Nasty is is one of the neatest things I've ever been a part of. We've run a lot together, although you're always, you've always been faster than me whenever you want to run slow is typically mm-hmm. when we link up. But when I, I've thought about starting this podcast for a long time, and you were certainly one of the people I had in mind when I uh, was thinking about doing this. So appreciate you being here. Certainly appreciate your friendship and uh, your contribution to running in Nashville. I think East Nasty has affected a lot of lives, certainly mine included. Yeah, man. Thanks for being here. I hope you I hope you wouldn't mind being a regular guest on uh, running the 615 because we'll always need some insight here. Thanks, Mark. Have a good day, bud. All right. Later.